Howdy, friends, and welcome to the Old Hat Podcast. This is James Chambliss, or Old Hat, your host at the Old Hat Podcast. Today's podcast is episode number seven, and I'm glad you're here for it. Today's episode is fueled entirely by coffee. Well, not entirely by coffee. It's also fueled by some fresh strawberries, one of my very favorite things. Behind coffee, of course, if I had to choose. And uh, chocolate left over from Easter that I've hidden from everyone else and I've been snacking on today. So that's going to make for a great podcast all by itself. So episode seven starts now. I'm glad you're here. In episode six, we talked about the Cowboy James show when I would show up at uh, an elementary school and uh, got a lot of belly laughs about evacuating the building with the smoke alarm and getting thrown off my horse. I'm really glad you enjoyed that. (laughs) It's funny now. It wasn't really funny that day, but it's funny now. I'm pretty happy about that. So I've done that a lot, but there's another Cowboy James show, uh, the Poetry Edition, which I've only done one time. I got invited to a local high school by a sweet friend of mine who's an English teacher there. And a couple of years ago, I did a writing project called the I Project. And it just every day I would write a, a, a poem. It's not the kind of poem that rhymes, but it starts with the same statement that repeats over and over again, like stop waiting might be one of them. Stop waiting. And then there'd be a line after line that that just uh, repeated the stop waiting. So stop waiting for things to get back to normal, which is good advice. Or stop waiting to catch up on your sleep because you're never going to. Stop waiting on inspiration to strike. Stop waiting for things to get easier. Stop waiting for your ship to come in. Stop waiting for others to see your value. Stop waiting until you have more energy. Stop waiting to get it all figured out. Stop waiting to feel like doing something. Just stop waiting. You're wasting time. You're burning daylight. You're in charge of your life. Get on with it. And that's an example with a little bit of commentary in the middle of the kind of uh, writing that I was doing in this project. And it, uh, it came to the attention of my friend Tamara, and she asked me if she could use some of my poetry in her English One class. And I thought, yeah, but is that like an example of how not to do it? And she went, no, this is great stuff. I really think the kids will like it. I'm like, well, yeah, you bet. You can use it if you want to. So she put together a series of lessons on my poetry and they talked about it. And then the the kids would write their own poetry. And she said it really resonated with them. Uh, There was uh, one particular poem that made them all think that I was probably dumb. And then there was another one that made them convinced that I was divorced. Uh, And it was interesting to hear their feedback through her of what uh, what they thought the poems meant and what it looked like. But she said the really cool thing about it was so many of them could write a poem like that. And so she got some great work out of students that normally didn't want to participate. And I was really excited to be a part of that. And then last fall, she sent me a note and said, would you be willing to come and talk to my English classes? And I was like, oh, wait, me talk to an English class? Are you sure? And she said, yeah, I think it would be great. Just come and tell them the stories behind the poetry. That's what we want you to do. And well, storytelling is what I do, so that'll be fun. So we worked out all of the details, and, and uh, I had a Thursday that I was going to spend over there all together. And, you know, it was one of those days where you get up in the morning and you're up early. I'm up early every day. And you think you've got it all together. And the next thing you know, you're running late and you aren't sure why. Well, my phone rings, and it's Tamara. And I'm supposed to be there already, and I'm on my way. And she's like, where are you? And I said, I'm on my way. Can you tell me? Oh, actually, let me back up. (laughs) That's not what happened. What happened was she called and said, hey, are you on your way? And I said, no, your phone call woke me up. I'm so glad you called. 
and that's so mean. And she panicked just a little bit. I said, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm in my truck. I'm, I'm headed there now. Where's the high school? And she said, you don't know where the high school is? I went, no, tell me where it is. So she's trying to give me directions on the fly. I'm still a little flustered by the idea that I might have overslept. I get to the school, and then she goes, you know, you you do you don't know where it is? I said, no, I do know where it is. I've been there a lot. <laughs> so she's like, you know, there will be payback for this, buddy, <laughs> when you least expect it. And so now I'm podcasting about it just in case she forgot. Now she can remember, right? So I show up and I park in, the, I get through the little guard gate and I drive around until I find the right entrance and I park and I've got enough coffee to last me until lunchtime in a big insulated cup. And when I went to pick it up, I dropped it and it fell. You know, I juggled it 15 times and it bounced around the cab of my truck. There's coffee everywhere. It's terrible, mainly because I've wasted coffee, but also because it's hot. And so uh, I've probably said some words that I shouldn't say. That's almost a given. And I gathered up the cup and I set it down and then I threw a bunch of napkins that I have in the console. Do you have napkins in your console? I think it's required by law here in Texas. And I just threw them in the floorboard and on the seat. I'll clean it up later. And I got out of the truck and the uh, the campus resource officer, the police officer that's there, happened to be in the general area and was kind enough to walk me into the building. He must, if he saw me juggling coffee, he probably thought I was a crazy man. But he escorted me to the door, and my friend Tamara opened the door. So glad you're here. You're running late. Let's get you signed in and get you started. And so it was kind of like walking into a buzzsaw. Uh, Somebody promised to bring me coffee, and they walked me down to the lecture hall, and I walk in, and there's a bunch of kids. And it's not, I'm waiting for a classroom, right? But I'm in a lecture hall, you know, where there's tiers of seat that that go up like an auditorium <laughs> and and I walk in and all of these kids know something about me and now they know I'm late and really need coffee but what I did all day was just tell class after class stories and some of them uh most of them came out of the poetry that they knew because they had questions they knew enough about the poetry uh to have questions and there's one that I wrote uh, called I learned the hard way And it really is just a list of things that I learned the hard way. I sat down and made a list one day. Uh, uh, It includes things like I learned the hard way never to touch a spark plug wire while the engine is running. And to a lot of them, that was obvious. I didn't know that. I learned the hard way never to take the lid off a blender while it's running. And what was really funny is how many people in there had had the same experience. I learned the hard way never to climb an electric fence. That's good advice. Don't climb electric fences. I learned the hard way not to lay your branding iron on the ground and then back into it. That's good information. I learned the hard way uh, never to take your contacts out after putting Icy Hot on your neck. Good advice. I learned the hard way that catching an ostrich is much harder than it looks. I learned that hard way that only experts can rope pigs. So it's a long list of things like that, and, and they all thought that was funny, and some of them wanted to know about the ostrich, and some of them wanted to hear why I climbed an electric fence. And y'all, I climbed an electric fence twice. So I can't, you know, some things you learn the hard way. It's kind of like what Real Rogers said. Some people learn by hearing good advice. Some people learn uh, by watching other people make mistakes. And some people just have to pee on the electric fence for themselves. I'm not going to put myself in any of those categories other than to say that I do learn things the hard way. 
But the kids wanted to hear those stories. They wanted to know what those stories were. And so we we talked about all of those. The story that was the biggest hit, though, was about the llama. I did learn the hard way that llamas spit. Now, maybe you knew that, but where I went to school, they didn't teach that. I didn't learn that in high school. <laughs> Maybe you did, but it was news to me. So I'll tell you how I found out because it's a pretty good story. I used to be a ranch manager for a place called Sassy Ranch, and the best neighbor that I had there was a vet clinic. And of course, one of the reasons it was such a um, great neighbor to have is because there was almost always fresh coffee to be had there, at least during business hours. And you know, in the cattle business, whether you're the doctor of the cows or the cowboy of the cows, you keep some weird hours. So usually you could find coffee there if there was a, a truck in the parking lot. There were two vets there, an older vet and his son, and they uh, they did everything. You know, it's a country vet, and so you end up seeing everything from some guy's uh, little kittens until some guy's ostrich and llama. Cows, horses, dogs, cats, everything in between. Well, not too far across, you know, in country terms, not too far means you can get there before lunch. That's kind of how it works out in the country. Not too far from the vet clinic and from Sassy Ranch, there was a ranch that kept exotic animals. They had all kinds of things. Well, Frank was their vet. And so whenever they needed anything done, they would call over and vet, you know, to the vet clinic. And Frank would load all his stuff in his truck and drive out there. One thing about being in the country is you never have enough qualified help. You know, I could find somebody that could drive a tractor. I could find somebody, even that I found somebody that could drive a bulldozer. But finding a sure enough cowboy is hard to find, and, and they're expensive in terms of how much money you're producing on the ranch. And so sometimes you need help, and you just have to call on your neighbors that have the same problems you do and see if they'll come help you. And me and Frank uh, helped each other a lot. I'd call him because he was a first-class roper. I'd call him if I got in a bind, even if I didn't need doctoring help, if I just needed cowboy help and he was there, he'd come help. If they had a lot of work going on, they'd holler at me and say, hey, why don't you come work off some of that coffee? And I'd go and help them and just whatever it was that came up. I learned a lot that way. And it's a good way to be a good neighbor. It's always good advice to help your neighbors when you can and hope they'll help you in return. And that's the kind of relationship that we had. Well, Frank caught me one morning at the coffee maker and said, hey, I've got to run over to the exotics place. You want to go with me? I said, sure. What are we working on this time? And he said, everything. Everything's getting a checkup. Everything's getting its immunizations. We're doing it all. Okay, well, cool. Let's go. Now, Frank is one of the best looking men in the county, jet black hair and the bluest eyes you've ever seen. And so whenever we would show up to work on animals at the exotic clinic, all of the women in the nearby area found some excuse to be there visiting. <laughs> so there was an, always an audience of uh, pretty girls. It looked like Petticoat Junction around there some days, and you'll have to Google that show to see what I'm talking about. But there was always an audience of pretty women whenever we were there working on the exotics place. And this time, they ran out every kind of animal that was ever on the ark, I guess. Had they run out a unicorn, I wouldn't have been shocked. We saw guinea pigs and wombats and emus, which is interesting. Now, this is also the place where I learned how dangerous it is to, to catch an ostrich. But that's a story for another time. 
it's a good one too, but it's for another day. We're talking about llamas. So we've worked on all this stuff. And the last thing they bring out is this big brown llama. Now he's, uh, his eyes are about level with mine. He may be an inch taller than I am, but they bring him out into this big dusty corral where we've been working. They run him out of the barn with a halter on like a horse and leading him with a rope, you know, like a dog on a leash. Very, uh, very easy to get along with. Very gentle seeming animal. And I've never been this close to a llama before. I mean, I'm, I knew what they were, but I, I'd i never spent any time around. It just didn't come up that I was around llamas very often. Well, Frank and the guy that owned the place are kind of laughing about something when they come out with this one. And they say, all right, Hat, hang on to his halter and, and don't let him get away from you. And I'm like, okay. Well, I'm a cowboy. So, you know, I, I reach right up under his chin and grab his lead rope. And I've got a pretty pretty good hold on him because I don't want him to get away. Well, I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm going to control the llama. That's what I'm thinking. And Frank and the llama owner are doing exams of some sort on this animal and chuckling about something. They're amused about something, and I don't care what it is. I don't know what it is, but whatever. I'm just holding the llama, and I'm looking at it, and it's got these great big eyes, and they kind of bulge out a little bit. And the, the pupils in the middle of its eye are not like round ones like yours, and they're not quite... Uh, you know, the slits that cats have, cat's eyes. It's not like that. They're almost a kind of a diamond-shaped pupil. It's weird-looking. It's alien-looking is what it is. And he's just standing there, and, and he's chewing his cud, and he's looking me in the eye, and I'm looking him in the eye, and we're just trying to figure out how all this thing is going to work out. But everything's going fine, and Frank says, all right, James, I've got to give him a shot back here, so you need to really hang on to his uh, head. Don't let him get away from you. I'm like, okay, I got it. You know, I'm a cowboy, so I'm thinking like horses. If, you, uh, if you're holding a horse halter and somebody gives it a shot in the rear end, it, it's going to want to pull away from you and run off, and so you've got to hang on to it. You certainly don't want to let it rear up and paw you with its front hooves, because that's deadly, right? And so... I'm, you know, just imagine I've got this thing almost hugged into my chest. I'm not going to let this thing get away. <laughs> so I'm real close and they jab it with a needle and I'm looking right in its eye and it freezes. And I think its eyes, the pupils in its eyes seem to change shape just a little bit. <laughs> it went from calm llama to angry llama and its back humped up just like a horse would if it was about to start bucking. They get this big hump in their back and you're like, oh, no. So what does Cowboy James do? Man, I hang on even tighter to his halter, which causes Frank and his buddy to start laughing out loud. Well, the 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 llama's back comes down, and it works like a bellows. He didn't start bucking. That wasn't what he was about. He His back came down, and it all whooshed out of his mouth like a bellows, and he spit the biggest wad of nastiness you have ever seen right in my face. Well, then we start swinging around each other. He's trying to get away, and I'm trying to hang on, and I can't see because I've got whatever he was chewing on all over my face, and it's just nasty. It's like really wet snot. It's just awful stuff, and it's all over my face. And we're wrestling around, and Frank and his buddy are laughing out loud because the llama has spit on me like they knew he was going to. Well, I'm not happy with this, and I'm not letting go. I'm going to win this fight because I'm not a quitter, right? And now back in the day, I chewed tobacco. I don't anymore. It's a nasty, vile, and disgusting habit, and you should never do it. But back in my young cowboy days, I did that. 
Well, the llama spit on me again, trying to get me to turn loose, and I got mad. And I bowed up my back, and I spit on him. I spit a whole big chaw of tobacco right in his face. And I expected at that point the fight would be on. And you know what the llama did? He froze. He froze, and he and he kind of bent his head down so I was taller than he was. And he looked at me as if to say, I'm terribly sorry for the ruckus I have caused. <laughs> I'm very sorry about all this. Uh, please forgive me. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on because all of the fight has gone out of him. And I look over at Frank and, and his buddy, and they are leaning on each other, just about to fall on the ground. They are laughing so hard. And I'm like, what is so funny? I cannot figure out what you guys are finding so amusing here. I got it at first, right? He spit on me. That was kind of funny. But now he's calm, and I don't know what's going on. Would somebody please tell me what's going on? Well, now, you may know what's going on because you knew that llamas spit, and I didn't know that. <laughs> but you may know the answer to this. Do you know what llamas do to establish dominance within the herd? Yeah, you're right. They spit on each other. And the one who is the best spitter wins. Folks, I spit better than their llama. I am the llama king, as it turns out. <laughs> The other one that they had questions about was called Maybe. And it's one I'm going to share with you here because, you know, it's it's funny. They all thought it meant that I was getting a divorce. And I was shocked to hear that. And my friend had assured them that was not the case. But after I had heard them say that, it it occurred to me that I understand what why they thought that. You know, it makes sense. But in every class, I would say, OK, does anybody remember my poem Maybe? And inevitably, somebody from the back would yell, maybe. <laughs> and I would read it. It's short. And I'd read it to him. I'd go, okay, maybe. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's not. Maybe the ones who help you through the drama can't help you move past it. Maybe the ones who were so important in your past don't have a place in your future. Maybe I could help you survive, but I can't help you heal. Maybe I was holding you up, but now I'm holding you back. Maybe we have to move on in different directions. Maybe the best gift you can give a friend is that freedom to move on. Maybe after all the holding on, it's time to let go. Maybe, though, this isn't the time for letting go. Maybe there's nothing to lose. Maybe we should try. Maybe. And after talking with them, I could understand why they thought maybe that was about me and my wife having trouble, but it's not. It's a much more common situation than that. And I took time in every class to explain this one to them for the same reason I'm going to explain it to you, because this is going to happen to you. If you love people, if you help people through hard times, you're going to experience this. It happens over and over. And the more you help, the more it will happen. You know, sometimes you're really intensely involved with somebody. Maybe they had a death in the family and you became very close during that time. Or maybe they were sick and you helped them through that. And then when that crisis is over... You drift apart. You, you were such close friends for a while, and then you're just not anymore. And the first time it happens to you, you'll be wondering what you did wrong. And I don't think you did anything wrong. This is just a normal thing that happens. And I have some theories about why it happens, but I don't really know why it happens. I don't really understand why it happens. But I do know that it does happen, and you need to be ready for it. You know, one of the the... I guess the example I gave to them that made the most sense was, you know how in the summer when school's out and you, you're in your neighborhood and you play with the kids that live in your neighborhood, 
you're good friends all summer. You hang around all summer. You swim together. You ride your bikes together, whatever it is. And you play games together. And you're just together all the time. And then when school starts, you don't talk to those people anymore. Or if you're like me and you have a lot of sisters, you, you spend a lot of time together at home. But once school starts, don't talk to me becomes the rule. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me as a brother, but I heard that a lot. But I wrote that poem as a way to work through that process. It was happening again uh, with somebody that I've been very close to. And now we were through the crisis and we weren't talking much anymore. And I thought we were going to talk all the time from now on. But you know what? They just needed me for that time. And now they needed to move on. And I don't know why, but they did. And you know what? That's okay. And part of that poem was just to remind myself, you know what? Maybe it's time to let them move on. Maybe I could help them through it, but maybe now they need somebody else to help them do the next step. And it's just kind of a way of letting myself know that that's okay. And you know what? At the end there, it's also mentioning sometimes it's okay to go, no, I'm not going to let you go. We're going to stay friends and help people learn to maybe move past that. But, you know, you got to be ready for that kind of thing because it's going to happen. So now, you know, the kids were great. The teachers were great. The kids would come up. It was funny. They'd come up and go, I kind of want you to read my poem, but I'm kind of scared for you to read my poem. I'm like, well, I'll read it if you want me to. I would love to see it, but it's up to you. And so I read a lot of poetry and I, you know, I had the, I guess the number one thought that I had as I read almost every poem was. Did a 14-year-old really write this? Y'all, they're deep. There's a lot going on in their heads, and there's a lot going on in their hearts. And this teacher had found a way to get that out onto paper so that they could think about it, which gives you an opportunity to help them, doesn't it? One of the girls wrote a poem and showed it to me, and it said, um, it was great. I was reading it, and uh, I put my finger right next to this one line that I really wanted to talk to her about. And the line in her poem, whoever it was to, it said, you'll know, you'll never know how much power I gave you over me. And I, again, same thought. I can't believe a 14 year old wrote this poem. And I get to the end and I keep staring at the paper while I think about what I want to say. And I look up at her and I say, you know what, this line right here, you'll never know how much power I gave you over me. That, that means there's two really important things about that line. I need you to remember and the first is you have power. And the second thing is you get to decide who you give that power to. And she went, oh, wow, and ran off with her friends to think about that. In one of the classes, I talked about having grown up as part of a foster family. And at lunch, one of the guys came up and, and you know, was kind of hovering around. And the teacher said, hey, did you want to talk to Mr. Chambliss? And he said, yeah, you talked about you know, foster care. Not a lot of people know about that. And I said, yeah, I, I know about that. Were you in foster care? He said, yeah, I was adopted when I was eight and I got a good family. And so we talked about that for a while. And he told me that he'd been in foster care for five or six years and been to five or six different homes before he was adopted. But he got a good family and he was happy about that. And I said, can I tell you something that I tell my adopted children? He said, yeah. I said, your birth mother didn't give you away. She gave you a family. That good family you have, it's because your birth mother gave you that family. And like my adopted children, he seemed relieved to hear that. It's good to know that you weren't uh, taken away or given away, but you were given a good family. That's a good thing. I think about all those kids, and I think about the poetry that I saw that day, and I am encouraged 
You know, people talk about, oh, this next generation, this and that. Let me tell you, I saw and spent the day with some of this next generation. They are doing some deep thinking. They have a great range of emotions that they feel. They have a lot of compassion. They care about a lot of things. Y'all, if these are the hands that are going to mold our future, I think we're going to be okay. And one of the reasons I think they're doing so well is because of the teachers that they have that care so much about them. They get there so early and they stay so late. These teachers didn't leave for lunch. They sat in their classrooms and had open hours for all the kids just to wander in and sit down. They needed help with homework. They got it. If they just needed somewhere safe to be, not in the lunchroom, then they had a place to be. Y'all, there's a lot of good things going on in our schools today. I know there's problems, and of course the news only tells you about the horrible things, but there's a lot of great teachers out there doing a lot of great work, and there's a lot of great kids out there just trying to get through their teenage years, their high school years. It's challenging. I'm so grateful that they have teachers like this to turn to. If you know a teacher that's doing a job, man, tell them thank you. I know this isn't Teacher Appreciation Day, but I think Every day should be Teacher Appreciation Day because they are dealing with so much. Because these kids come with so many challenges and they come with so much emotion and they come with so many problems. And these teachers, they don't just teach them English and math. They, They help them work through these problems. They help them deal with all of these big emotions. That's powerful stuff. I'm so glad they have those teachers I'm so glad we have these kids that are coming along because they're going to do great things. And they're one of the reasons that I spend a lot of time on this podcast telling you this one simple thing I really believe. The best really is yet to come. This is Old Hat signing off from the Old Hat Podcast. We'll see you again soon.